All right. Well, uh, good morning. I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Bland. I'm the lead pastor here. If you uh, if you are new and haven't had a chance to connect with you, just want to introduce myself and encourage you to reach out. I know it's um, you know it's weird trying to connect with a church online right now. Um, you know, <laughs> tuning into a live feed is one thing, but to actually kind of put your name out there is, is something else. And we totally get that. But we want to thank you for tuning in today. But also invite you to uh, go to our coabrookline.org/connect. Uh, link and then uh, just you know take a second fill out a little bit of information there. We just love to follow up with you um, and see if there's any ways we can serve you or encourage you or give you more information about the church. So encourage you to do that. Also today, immediately following the uh, the worship time, we're going to have our Q and A, uh, and so you can text your questions to six one seven nine four two zero seven five three. Uh, 617-942-0753. And it can have something to do with the David series or, you know, I, I enjoy an occasional off the wall, you know, not necessarily related to the series, uh, just a theological question maybe you've uh, been dealing with. Uh, so I'm, I'm up for those too. So feel free to, to do that anytime before now, between now and the end of our worship time. Uh, and we'll have that Q&A about three or four minutes after the worship time. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, And when I say I want you to open, I really, 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 really want you to open your physical Bible. Go find it. Uh, You uh, you have my permission to step away from the computer, step away from the TV. Go grab your physical Bible. Um, Or at least, you know, I hate for you to open your app, just your phone app, just because you're going to be very distracted by that. Um, But we're going to read 1 Samuel 17, which is a pretty long chapter today. And I don't want you sitting here staring at me. And we didn't put the whole chapter on. On the, the screen because it's going to be a lot of cutting back and forth and that would be really hard for the production team. Um, and so I'm just going to have you follow along in your own Bibles as I read. And it's going to be really boring watching me just read. So follow. So when we get there, follow along. But the cool thing is, while it's a long chapter, it's also one of the most vivid stories and one of the most well-known stories in the entire Bible, um, the story of David and Goliath. Last week, we started by uh, the series on King David, on, on the life of David, by looking at uh, King Saul, the first uh, king over Israel, and he had, he had started really well, but then gotten off track, was you know derailing and, and doing a lot of self-centered, selfish things, and uh, the God, was, God was taking his hand off of him and anointed David, had Samuel, the prophet, anoint David to be king, even though David was just a teenager at that point, maybe 14, 15 years old, uh, but he would be anointed to be king one day, uh, though it'd be many, many years before he would actually become king. And so this section, chapter 17, is is shortly thereafter, not necessarily like a week or two, but but not like 10 years later. This is a matter of, of months, maybe a year or two after uh, David's initial, uh, initial anointing as king. Um, and to, to get you up to speed, um, this tells the story of, of David and Goliath. And, you know, it's still, even if you're not a Christian, you don't have a church background, you've probably heard this story. And rather than just try to summarize this story, I believe that this is one of the most well told stories in scripture, the way scripture writes this. And and I want to make sure that you understand this. This is not a, um, you know, Samuel didn't sit down and say, you know, what could I make up a 
for, about David that could be true or could be, you know, uh, told people to impress them. This is actually a real story. This is a real place. Uh, we actually have a lot of archaeological evidence about the the Philistines and the type of people they were, and even the description of of Saul's arm or of of. Um, of a Goliath's armor that we're going to read in a few minutes. So I want as much as we can get our minds and our hearts into this story and hear what, what happens. And then we'll talk about what God, um, God has for us in this. And we're going to be, I'll be pausing along the way. So I, I, I want you to have your Bible open following along, but I'll be pausing as we, uh, along the way. So, all right. First Samuel chapter 17, verse one. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they gathered at Succo, which uh, belongs to Judah, and they camped between Succo and Ezekah and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. Now, I want to pause on the Philistines very quickly. The Philistines were um, the enemies of the people of God. They were uh, still in part of the land and kind of ever uh, pushing back on Israel in the land. Um, They're real people. Again, we have archaeological evidence. They are also one of the first peoples uh, to, to work with metals. And so they had metal weapons where Israel did not. Um, Israel had basically, you know, wood and, and stone and uh, the Philistines were very advanced. Uh, so the Philistines stood on, on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. This is the Valley of Elah. And I actually, this is a real place. You can see it today. I think we got a picture that we're going to throw on the screen uh, for you of, of the Valley of Elah. It's a real place that you can, you can go to today. This is, this is what it would look like if you went there today. So imagine this scene, you know, uh, you know, 1500 years or 3,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, where, where, um, you know, these two armies were up on each hill and down in the valley was, you know, we'll see, uh, Goliath and, and David meet there. Um, and so this was a real place. Now, verse four, and there came out from the camp of Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, which again, we've, we've excavated Gath and, and we have a relatively good sense of, of, um, what was there, uh, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, Lots of you know people theorizing on this based on what we understand of the cu- uh, cubit, uh, which is fairly well established. It was around eighteen inches. This would have put uh, Goliath over nine feet tall. And I realized like immediately we're like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't think people, you know, this is real. I don't want us to get caught up with this. We do know that that there are genetic abnormalities that cause people to grow abnormally large, right? We've we've seen this. This is this happens in our world even today. Happened in that world back then. I don't think it's a huge issue worth worth spending much time over. But but he was a giant. Verse five. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. That's a metal meshing. Again, they were worked with metals. And the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. So this description is pretty accurate based on what we've excavated of the Philistines of what the armor that they actually had was. Verse seven. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. So 15 pounds-ish, 
So that's a really heavy spear, right? He was a big man, uh, and he had this, this, this huge spear. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So this is what's called um, representative warfare. Um, this was practiced in the ancient world. We have some pretty good evidence of this that, you know, um, I think if you ever saw the movie Troy, this actually happens in the, the movie of Troy, uh, where, where the, the, each army would send out their best warrior and those two warriors would duke it out and whoever won, theoretically their side won. Now, what we found was, well, it's not great evidence of the losing side accepting the loss of their great warrior as being their loss. So uh, whether this actually wore out or whether uh, whether this bared out or whether this was actually just a precursor for the larger war um, or battle, I don't know. But uh, this was common. <clears throat> and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Lord, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So I want that to settle in. The, the feeling of seeing this giant out there and knowing that someone in your army, uh, Saul, who, by the way, was, was the tallest man in Israel, certainly one of the very tallest men in all of Israel at that time, uh, w- w- people would have looked at him and thought, hey, king, go out there. You're supposed to kill that guy. Um, but Saul was afraid, along with the rest of the Israelites. Now David, so we get to our hero now. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. By the way, just including those kinds of details sort of bears, bears this story out as a real story versus just you know skipping over the details about what three sons actually went to battle. Um, so verse 14, David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward. Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So for 40 days, the armies had lined up, gotten up on these mountains, uh, hills, looking down at each other. The Philistine walked down in the valley and he yelled, come on, I defy you. Come fight me, any one of you. Every day for 40 days, verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, take your brothers an ephah of parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. I don't know why the commander liked different cheeses, but evidently he says, see if your brothers are all well and bring some token from them. So basically this was Paul, or this was uh, David acting as Grubhub before Grubhub was cool. So they had to send the food out to the front line for, for uh, his brothers. Uh, now Saul uh, and they uh, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host uh, was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. So this was the daily scene beginning to happen every day. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by his name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. 
Now, I don't want you to miss this. Up to this point, it's been repeated, right? Every day for 40 days. But now something has changed. Something is different. Um, God had sent David, and David heard these words for the first time. 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much, afra- were, were much afraid. So again, fearful. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his house, his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? And the people answered him the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, David's eldest brother here, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart for you've come down to see the battle. So basically saying you have come down to look and see what's the battle. You're, you're, not, you're not helping anything. What are you doing here? You're here, you're, you're, you're interfering. You're, you're, you know, you've got your Instagram out, you're, or you're, you're you're live uh, feeding something, an activity. You're not actually involved. You're not part of this. You're just a, a, a bystander who's, who's you know, voyeuristic and looking in at what's happening. Listen to what he says. And David says, what have I done? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they, were, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for them, sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. So Saul pushes back on David's courage here. David David comes in. You got to imagine this is, you know, maybe 15 year old boy here uh, comes in. The, he's not even old enough to qualify for the army. His oldest three brothers are in the army. He's he's like three. He's like five back from being able to join the army, and he and he comes in and he goes, uh, "What's what's going on? You guys aren't aren't going out to fight this guy? I'll go fight this guy." So you can imagine what's going through Saul's mind. But David said to Saul, "Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear." Uh, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you, which is translated, good luck, buddy. Try not to die, right? <laughs> you just can't imagine Saul having a lot of faith in this moment. In verse 38, then Saul clothed David with armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. So, so Saul, even though the Israelites didn't have metal, he was the king. So he actually had this coat of mail that, that, that was his. Uh, the soldiers didn't have them, but he had it. And so he gave it to Saul because he's like, hey, the Philistines got one. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you uh, what I have, the bronze helmet, and, and you're going to have my, my sword. Um, but 
but it says, look at, uh, and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, uh, for, um, but, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. So he, he, he said, I can't, I can't fight in these. These are not, this is not what I fight in. I didn't fight the bears in this. I didn't fight lions in this. And I, and I, I, I don't think I'm supposed to go out there and in this. Then he took his staff in his hand, his, his shepherd's staff, okay, and, and, and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So, so what was about to happen was not to happen because David uh, came in and was like... Um, you know, um, the, the, the greatest warrior ever. And he, he had the greatest armor and he had the greatest training, military training. What was going to happen was going to be very clearly not by human power, human might, but by um, David going in the power and the purpose of God. Verse 41. And the Philistines moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he, is, he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistines said, this, said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? So he's like, seriously? I've come out here to fight and you've sent out Justin Bieber? Like, seriously? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give you the flesh, your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, that's again, Goliath, uh, you know, uh, 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 attacking and and teasing and sort of um, demeaning the army of God and threatening David here. And, And his confidence of what he could do to David was clear. But listen to what David does, what David says. His his confidence is very different. His confidence is not simply, hey, oh yeah, I'm gonna kick your butt. You know, uh, look, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth, now listen, because there's a couple audiences here, all the earth, this audience wants, may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. So audience one is that the whole world may know there's a God in Israel. Audience two, um, the, the people of God um, and, and the enemies would know that God saves, that God has the power to save and doesn't save in the way that we think. Verse 47, the end. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David brought the fire here, right? He's not focusing on, hey, you know what? I've killed some bears. I've killed, I'm going to come kill you. No, he says, you've defied the armies of God. You've defied the name of the Lord God. I'm going to come to you in the name of the Lord and the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. So he, 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 David saw himself in this moment going in the name of the Lord, partnering with the Lord in, in defeating Goliath. Verse 48, when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David ran. Have you ever seen that before? If you've read this story, David didn't like stumble out there into the valley. David was with the army up on one hill and he saw the Philistine coming out the other side and he ran down there. I think he was thinking, 
I think God's done with this moron. Let's get him off the field, right? We're gonna get, we're gonna get this done quickly. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. <clears throat> so see this is the scene. David runs out. Not even like a chance to, to, to interact here. He, you know, he, he, he grabs the, the sling and he slings the stone. It hits Goliath in the head. You can just imagine this giant. He, he gets hit for a second. He, he kind of stumbles. He wobbles. There's a look of shock on his face maybe. And then like a scene from a movie, he, he like falls maybe to his knees and then face down. Like, you know, that the scenes where somebody gets, you know, killed or whatever and you see them and they just boom, boom, face down. What a scene. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Again, only, only Saul had a sword. So then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, took the Philistine's own sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. So the, so, so the Philistine had been struck down and he was near death and, and, and he took the sword and he killed him. And put him to death, cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You can just imagine this scene on, on the Philistine side, on the uh, Israel side, as this battle's breaking out. Uh, the Philistines are like, oh, this is going to be over so quick. Oh, my gosh. Look at this little peep, you know, pipsqueak that's come out here on behalf of Israel. Man, we're going we're gonna to take them out. Then we're going to run over and take out their whole army. And in just a moment... They watched their champion fall. They watched this little pipsqueak come over, take the champion's own sword and, and thrust him through and then take his head off. Like in this moment, I, they must have been in shock. And the people of Israel, or sorry, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded fell on the way uh, from Shiaram. I believe that's how you say it. Uh, as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Say it with me. Thanks be to God, right? <laughs> we made it. Uh, I know you're like, wow, that was the whole sermon right there. Um, but We've got a few couple of brief points that I want to make, but I want us to get through that story and build the whole context out. Um, this is, there's lots of interpretations from this story. You know, go fight your giants. God will let you defeat your giants. And it's everything from, uh, you know, a, a, a bad job to, um, you know, health issues. And those are all the giants. God wants you to just defeat them all. Um, and and the problem with that is uh, that, that that's taking a one-to-one -one interpretation from this passage. And we talked about this a little bit last week. This passive is descriptive. It's also a little prescriptive within the context of the rest of Scripture. So we want to make sure that we're not just saying, oh, okay, well, God wants me to go just go defeat all my giants right now. Uh, let's go, God. Um, the, the, this is a specific story in a specific place at a specific time to a specific people. And we want to make sure that we interpret it rightly today. And I think that the message, the message for you and I, uh, today, I believe, is courage. It's a very simple message of courage. We don't talk about courage a lot today, but we do talk about fear, don't we? We talk about fear of our, uh, about our world, fear about family, fear about uh, our work, fear about our circumstances, feel, fear of failure, fear of not being enough, fear of loss, 
and other fears. Lots of fear in this passage, right? If you look back, lots of fear happening on the, on the part of the Israelites. The entire army is fearful of, of, of the, the enemy here. And it's important because in this moment, it wasn't that David didn't see Goliath and he didn't see the enemy, um, which is what, what fear caused the, the Israelites to do. Fear, fear is about focus. And when you're fearing something, you are making that thing your focus instead of God. And that gives us to our two ideas I want us to look at today. The first is I can have courage because the God who is with me is greater than what is before me. I can have courage because the God who is with me is greater than, uh, than what stands before me. We think we should have courage when we're strong. We think we should have courage when, we're, when we have confidence or we have all the answers or we're capable. But the truth is we ought to have courage in God. Courage in God. David had some experience killing bears and lions and God had prepared him for this moment, but it was not enough, was it? All by itself, it was not enough for him to go out there um, and, and be confident. David saw that God had helped him. And that was important. If you go back into the text, it says, the Lord delivered me from the bear and from the lion and the Lord will deliver this Philistine. So God, David had a strong sense of walking with God up in his life up to that point. Think about being out in the wilderness, guarding shepherds, uh, sheep at night and, and, and a, a bear comes or a lion comes and you fight him off with sticks. Like seriously, you think about that and you think about the, uh, what went through David's mind. Surely at night after, after that was over and he had killed that animal, his heart was stirred to God. His heart was, God, you delivered me from this. You helped me. So, so he had prepared him for this moment. When you see the God who is with you is greater than what is before you, you will have courage. This is not about having courage so everything will go smoothly. Yes, it did in this story, but there are lots of stories in, in God's word and in church history where God's people have had courage in the face of difficulties. And it's not about it all being better. It's, it's about enduring. It's about walking by faith. It's about seeing God as greater and more valuable uh, than anything you face. It is, more, it is seeing God as the, the greatest thing in life and the greatest thing in death. Today, we hear of Christians around the world who are dying, uh, giving their lives for the gospel. And they do this with faith, story after story after story of faithfulness as pastors and uh, Christians and church leaders have been thrown into prison for years, had their stuff taken from them. And, and they have endured, they have remained faithful, they have fixed their eyes on God. And it's because their focus was not on, on the things they could be afraid of, but on the God who was with them. And I think you and I, far too often our culture and our, our way of thinking here in the West, focus on the things we can be fearful of, the things that, that, that make us afraid, instead of focusing on the God who is with us. Listen, the Philistines had demeaned, demoralized, and defeated the people of God. They were trying to crush them. The enemy does the same thing today. And David loses his mind over this. Who is this guy? Who is this guy out here? He, he knew God and he looked at this guy who was defying God and he said, who is he? And I wonder how often we look at our circumstances through the eyes of faith in God and not focus on fear. Listen, we have challenges before us 
Huge challenges as the people of God within us. Satan wants to defeat us, discourage us, to tear us apart. Right now during COVID, yes, we have a huge challenge as the people to try to stay connected, connected to God, connected to each other, walking with each other, loving each other, staying in community right now. That is a fight. It's a battle, right? And, 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 and Satan wants to, uh, is attacking there. He's also attacking this world. We have huge problems to fight with injustice and racism and broken families, addiction. I was reading this week, reminded of, of slavery and human trafficking worldwide it involves 40 million people. It's a $150 billion industry. And one quarter of the people involved in, uh, who, are, who are slaves right now or being trafficked are children. There's a huge enemy out there. There's a huge battle to be fought. And the enemy is attacking within and the enemy is bringing these without. And if we do not stay focused on the God who is with us, we will be overwhelmed by the circumstances that are before us. We need courage. And secondly here, I've, I can have courage because Jesus's victory is my victory. You and I can have courage because Jesus' victory is our victory. This is what you call an imputed victory, right? So when theoretically, when David won, David won, David defeated the army. David defeated the Philistines. That was, he, he defeated Goliath, which defeated the Philistines by the way their warfare worked, in, in, in theory at least, right? And so, but what happened is immediately following, there was work to be done. There was work to be done by, by, God, by the people to go and to defeat the rest of the Philistines. <clears throat> but I don't want us to miss, David is a picture here. David's a picture of Jesus. Because while David went out into a field and fought a battle on one day, defeating an enemy for one day, for one victory, Jesus went into the valley of death and, and took our sin on himself, fighting that battle for us. And defeating sin once and for all for us. And while David was broken, Jesus was faithful. And while David's victory was for a day, Jesus' victory is forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new and better David. And his victory in the valley of death gives us victory. Do you see that? I'm not talking about victory that one day you'll get to go to heaven when you die. That's not the, the, the idea of victory here. The idea of victory here is that today, here and now, God has given you the victory in Christ. Yes, it needs to be appropriated. Yes, we won't see the fullness of it until Jesus returns or we pass on from this world. We will not see that fullness of it, but we can begin to experience it here and now. Are you tired of seeing Satan have victory in your life through sin? Are you tired of those old familiar patterns of sin that hold you, that taunt you, that, that demean you, that discourage you, that keep you in fear, right? I mean, fear is a powerful thing and our sins, we know them better than anyone. Are you tired of that? Because what that sin is doing in your life is giving, is, is demeaning the power of God. That sin in your life is, is, is the enemy attacking you and taunting God. Are you tired of seeing Satan get victory in the life of people around you? 
People lost in addiction, people lost in, in, in sexual brokenness, people lost in, in hopelessness, people lost in, uh, in, in anger and pride and greed and fear. Now, I'm not talking about some naive triumphalism that, that Jesus' victory is our victory, so then we can just defeat all sin in our lives and never sin again. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that we have the power to put to death the daily track of our lives, putting to death sin, that we would be more like Christ and see Christ's victory in our lives. And the same thing for other people, praying with boldness, believing that Christ's victory is enough for them, that Christ can set people free. Listen, unlike any time in my life, COVID has created this, this like period of you know human experience where we would have all these experiences of different people and meeting new people and going different places and new challenges and things like that. And, and it's kind of compressed it all, hasn't it? It's created this, like, feels, I've said this from the beginning, it feels like Groundhog Day all over again, every day, right? It's very similar. It's not a lot changing. We're not even sure when this is going to end. But one of the things that it's done for me is, and, and I'm just going to be honest, is it, it, has, it has pushed me in, in, a, in a way to just kind of make peace with my own sin. I feel a pull towards just settling, just a pull that says, you know what, Blaine, you've got a lot of good things. You're, you're doing a lot of good things for the Lord. And it's not that you're saying your sin is good and right. You're still fighting it, but you're really not gonna kill it. You know, it's just some of the same sins you've had for years, some of the same struggles you've had for years. So, you know, just kind of dealing with it, just kind of m- mitigating it, right? Or, 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 or just, uh, you know, handling it rather than seeing it as a battle, rather than seeing, no, Christ wants me to kill my sin. Christ wants me to have victory over my sin. Christ wants me to press in every day and and fight. But did Jesus die for us to manage our sin or did he die for us to be victors? And I wanna remind us as we close, Romans 8, 31 and following. Listen to what, what Paul said. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, courage comes when you see Christ's victory as your victory, as his love for you being your victory. He says, we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors. We are have power over the enemy. And I believe it's time that as Christians, we stop letting the enemy have a root in our lives, have place in our lives and stop letting him just wreak havoc on people around us and start praying boldly for them and speaking the truth in love. That's what courage is. 
Courage is not settling. Courage is not being happy that God's name is defamed. Courage is not, is being, is not being happy that, that Jesus' name is not known across the city. The gospel is not known across the city. The glory of God is not known in our city. This is our calling as a church. And this victory, while we have it, we can walk in it. There is work to be done. Just like the Philistine, the, the Israelites had to go and, and pursue the Philistines. They pursued out of victory, right? The battle had been won by David, but they had to go finish it. The battle was won by Jesus. It's over. And Satan is a, is a defeated enemy, but he is still slashing about, trying to hurt as many as he can. Do you think of your life this way? Do you have this courage in you? Because this courage comes when you see the God who is with you is bigger than the circumstances before you. And you see that Christ's victory is your victory. And maybe you don't know anything about this. Maybe you don't know what this victory is about for yourself. You've never experienced that personally. The great thing is the invitation for all of us is to, to reaffirm our faith in Christ, our faith in that victory, or for the first time to receive it. And maybe that's you. And we would love to pray with you and help you in that journey. You can uh, reach out to us through our coabrookline.org slash connect page, and we'll follow up with you and help you in that. But let's press out. Jesus didn't die for us to walk around as a defeated people but to walk out with bold courage to all that is before us. And, you're, and let's pray. Jesus, thank you that um, you endured the cross for us, that you went out into on that hill and fought the battle that we could never fight, experienced the death that we deserve and then rose from the grave that we could experience life eternal. I thank you that your victory is our victory. May that courage strengthen our spine today, Lord. May we put to death sin. May we fight by faith for your glory in our lives, in our families, in our, among our community across the city. In your name we pray, amen.